Did Jesus really rise from the dead? It's hard to imagine a more important question than that one. So much hinges on it. If he did rise from the dead, then there is one person who permanently came back from the grave. Now, there are people who are resuscitated, but they eventually go on to die. With Jesus, we believe that he was resurrected, meaning he was given an immortal, imperishable body that will never die. And if that is the case, then it completely changes how we see death. And it completely changes how we see Jesus, since he is the only one to ever do this. The early church was built on that belief in the resurrection. However, not everyone believes. In their day, as in ours, there are people who will deny the resurrection. About 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, who was experiencing some false teachers who were denying that Jesus had risen from the dead, who were also denying that Christians would also rise again in the future. And so in the 15th chapter of the letter to the church of Corinth, Paul talks about the resurrection and its significance. And he writes these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul reminds them of the gospel that they had heard and which they believed. Paul also relates to them the content of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is what someone must believe in order to become a Christian. At the heart of the gospel, I hope you saw, was the resurrection. Take away the resurrection, and you take away the gospel, and hence you take away salvation. That's why Paul says a little bit later in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. That brings us back to our original question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is there solid evidence for the resurrection? Or is this just mere wishful thinking? Considering the significance of the resurrection, I think it is wise for every person to consider the evidence with a sense of earnestness. We're going to do that today, to put on our detective caps, so to speak, and explore this monumental question. First, I want us to look at the two most popular theories that would deny the resurrection, and then after that, I want us to look at the compelling evidence in favor of the resurrection. So let us begin here. Let's look first at perhaps the most popular theory that denies the resurrection, and that would be that the disciples stole the body. This is perhaps the most popular theory. If you talk to a skeptic on the street, they would probably say this 
particular objection. It's also the oldest theory. It was put forward by the Jewish religious leaders when they discovered that Jesus' tomb was empty. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 to 15. The theory goes like this. After Jesus was buried in the tomb, his disciples snuck by the Roman soldiers who were placed there to guard the tomb, and then they stole the body. Then they made up the story that Jesus rose from the dead and went around and preached the resurrection. What do we make of that? Well, this theory has two huge objections, two problems. First, it was unlikely that the Roman soldiers, probably a group of four of them, would have fallen asleep. Why is that? Well, if a soldier was caught asleep on the job, Roman law stated that they could be executed. Therefore, these guys had a lot of motivation to stay awake. A second problem with this theory is that the soldiers would have had to sleep through the disciples moving the stone. The Gospels tell us that a large stone covered the tomb. Now, archaeology tells us also that a stone covering a grave like this was a large disc-shaped object that moved along a groove and would settle in a depression in front of the tomb. Now, this is not a, hopefully on the screen there, what you're seeing, this is not the actual tomb of Jesus, but this is what it was common on the, in the day there of what these tombs might look like. Notice how the stone would roll into the track in front of the tomb. It was not hard to move it into place, but it would take several grown men uh, to push it out of the way. Let me ask you a question. How much noise do you think that that would take? It would make an enormous amount of noise. And so to sleep through this, these soldiers would really have to redefine the notion of a heavy sleeper. So to accept this theory, we have to believe that four Roman soldiers fell asleep at the risk of losing their lives. The disciples snuck past them, rolled away this stone that did not wake them up. And to top it all off, the soldiers, if they were really asleep through this whole time, how would they know that it was the disciples who stole the body in the first place? Let's look at the next theory. It's sometimes called the swooned theory. Some people believe that Jesus did not really die, but he only swooned or fainted on the cross. Jesus only appeared to die. And so when he was placed in the tomb, he revived and escaped. Then he found the disciples and convinced them that he rose from the dead. And then they, of course, went around proclaiming the gospel that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, there are three huge problems with the swoon theory. The first is this. It's incompatible with the physical suffering of Jesus. Let me explain what Jesus actually went through to show you how unlikely this is. To begin, Jesus, as it records earlier in the Gospels, was brutally beaten and then scourged. What was scourging? Well, scourging was, was when they tied a victim to a post, and then they would take a whip with leather straps, and they would beat that person. Sometimes they would embed bone and metal 
into those leather straps and so that when they snapped the whip, it would lock into the flesh and flesh would come out with them when they pulled it away. They would whip them from the top of their shoulders down to their legs. The treatment was so brutal that sometimes people would die from scourging. One scholar noted that Jesus may have been in serious to critical condition even before he went to the cross. Then, of course, he was crucified for six hours, which was the cruelest form of capital punishment known to the ancient world. The victim would be laid on a horizontal beam on the ground like this, then spikes five to seven inches long would be driven into the into the wrist of the victim, not the palms. They'd be put into the wrist to provide extra support so they would stay on the cross. Then they'd be hoisted on the metal, excuse me, the vertical beam, and then a spike would be driven into their feet. When the cross was dropped into the ground, the, uh, the arms would be stretched about half a foot and the shoulders would become dislocated. The person would have to push their feet up just to be able to take a breath. And they never could take a full breath. Eventually, the person's strength would give out, and they would suffocate. When this happened, the soldiers ensured that the person had died. With Jesus, they stuck him with a spear. And the Gospel of John talks about how water and blood came out from his side, most likely indicating that they stuck the spear and ruptured the pericardial sac around the heart. Again, the swoon theory asserts that Jesus only appeared to die. It's difficult to imagine that these Roman soldiers who were trained in crucifying people and determining when someone had actually died would have totally botched this case, particularly one with Jesus who was notorious with all of the, of the fanfare and the crowds and all of this, that they would have messed this one up. And so then to top it off, you have to believe that Jesus was placed in the tomb. He revived without any kind of medical treatment, that he was able to move this huge stone from the inside and then either snuck past or subdued the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. The swoon theory is incompatible with Jesus' physical suffering. It's also incompatible with Jesus' character. Throughout the Gospels, we're given a picture of a person, Jesus, who has impeccable moral character. The swoon theory goes against all of that because it shows that Jesus was along with this. He created this deception. And such behavior hardly squares with what we see of Jesus, who lived and advocated the highest moral standards. The swoon theory is also incompatible with Jesus' resurrection. If somehow Jesus pulled this thing off, would his bloody, beaten appearance inspire the disciples to worship him as God in human flesh? Would they go around and declare that you too could have a resurrected body that looked like this? No, the early church worshipped a Jesus who rose from the dead victoriously not one who barely escaped death. So because of these huge problems, few scholars actually hold to the swoon theory. Now, there are other theories that float around out there, such as, for example, that the women stole the body. That theory has all the same problems as the disciples stealing the body. Some will say, well, the women went to the wrong tomb and mistakenly thought Jesus 
uh, that thought Jesus was missing. But if that had happened, the Jewish and the Roman authorities would have been glad to go to the tomb where Jesus' body still lay and open it up and squashed any possible rumor of a resurrection. So, friends, put simply, all various theories that deny that Jesus rose from the dead are incredibly weak. So that leaves us with the theory that Jesus rose from the dead. So is there evidence that points to this theory being true? Yes, there are three compelling facts that have to be accounted for, and only this theory can do it. To help you remember, think of the acrostic, E-A-T, eat. I know that might be a big mistake to use that acrostic at this moment, considering you might be close by to your fridge, but stay focused, stay focused, do that later. Think about this acrostic, E-A-T, which stands for empty tomb, appearances of Jesus, and then transformation of the disciples. So E stands for empty tomb. It's hard to deny that Jesus' tomb was indeed empty. If he was still in the tomb, the disciples would not have preached his resurrection. As I just said, if his body was somehow still in the tomb, the authorities would have been glad to show everybody that there his body still lay and the resurrection rumors would have ended on the spot. The tomb was clearly empty and there was no human explanation why it was empty. The second piece of evidence is the appearances of Jesus. Over the course of 40 days, Jesus appeared many times to different people, sometimes to individuals, sometimes to large groups. And if you want to turn quickly over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to pick up where I left off in verse 5 there. It says, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter's name in Aramaic, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul was speaking to himself, or speaking of himself there. So shortly after Jesus' death, it was universally believed in the church that Jesus appeared to the apostles, his brother James, and to 500 brothers at one time. You say, why is that remarkable? Well, almost all of these people were still alive. It's one thing to claim something after all the eyewitnesses are dead. It's another thing to claim it when a lot of them are still alive. Paul mentions these eyewitnesses for a reason, right? To show that he is not making up his claim. These witnesses are there to be questioned. Paul was so confident in the resurrection that he had seen the resurrected Christ and these others that he pointed to them and said, look, they can go and corroborate the claim that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Now some will say, well, the witnesses thought they saw Jesus, but they were only hallucinating. Well, that actually doesn't square with how hallucinations really work. You see, hallucinations are rare and individual experiences. They're not group experiences. And plus, they usually occur when people are hopeful and expectant, looking for something to happen. 
We know from the Gospels that the disciples were the exact opposite, weren't they? They were fearful and despondent. Remember when Jesus appeared to his disciples? Remember how they were scared? They were confused? Some of them were skeptical? The fact is, is that Jesus appeared to a large group of disciples and on various occasions. So we've seen so far the empty tomb and appearances of Jesus. The last piece of evidence was the transformed lives of these disciples. The transformed lives of these disciples. The disciples believed that he was the Messiah before the resurrection. But they didn't understand that, that he would have to die and then rise again. Therefore, when Jesus was crucified, what happened? All of the disciples deserted Jesus. And at the cross, the only disciple there was John. They all fled Jesus. They were devastated. But something happened to them. Something happened to change these confused, cowardly men to bold preachers who went around preaching to everyone, even to the people who had crucified Jesus. Something happened to give them perseverance to endure imprisonments and beatings. Something happened to give them the hope of eternal life in the face of death, which all of them endured, except John, all of them endured a martyr's death. For instance, look at Peter. Before the cross, he claimed that he would never deny Jesus. But yet he did once, twice, three times. However, Peter became the most powerful preacher of the early church, leading thousands to faith in Christ. Eventually, decades later, the Romans decided to execute Peter. According to church tradition, Peter asked them to crucify him upside down because he was unworthy to die in the same manner that his Lord died. Something happened to Peter to turn him from a timid man to a bold preacher. Something happened to Peter. How about James, the brother of Jesus? During Jesus' ministry, James explicitly rejected the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Rejected him. However, James went on to become the leader of the early church and a martyr. Now, if you have a brother, think about worshiping him as God in human flesh. Could anything else sound more absurd than that? No. Even worse, think about being willing to die for that belief that your brother is God in human flesh. Something, to hap something happened to James to turn him from a skeptic to one who was willing to die for the belief that his brother was God in human flesh. Look at Paul. He was a zealous persecutor and murderer of Christians. However, Paul became a missionary who traveled all over the Roman Empire, starting churches for about 30 years. During the course of those 30 years, he was now on the receiving end of terrible persecution. He too also losing his life for his faith in Christ. 
Something happened to Paul to turn him from a persecutor to a missionary and martyr for his faith in Christ. You see, friend, a complete transformation took place and refutes any notion that the disciples somehow just made up the story of the resurrection. You see, sometimes people will on occasion uh, be willing to die for something that they think is true. Think, for example, of the terrorists in the 9-11 attacks, how they, were, they flew those planes into the trade towers. They believed what they were doing was the right thing. Now, obviously, I would disagree with that, but the point is they were convinced in their own minds that what they were believing was true. However, do you know of anyone who has ever willingly laid down his life for a known lie? Especially when you think about some of the agonizing deaths that these apostles and disciples went through. Would you be willing to die for a known lie? Something happened to these disciples to transform them so dramatically. What happened? They saw the resurrected Jesus. Everything changed after that. So taken together, the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus, the transformation of the disciples, these are facts. And we have to ask ourselves, what theory best explains them? Just one. Jesus really rose from the dead. That is why the tomb is empty. The disciples saw the risen Jesus and these appearances transform them greatly. It's amazing. I just think God orchestrated all of these events to show how believable the resurrection was. Even unwitting characters like these Roman soldiers are part of this grand drama as God just put it all together to show that this evidence is so compelling. You see why the resurrection makes so much sense? Let me close, though, by, why, by asking why the resurrection matters. Why this matters. The resurrection matters because the resurrection confirmed Jesus' identity. During his ministry, Jesus made a lot of astounding claims about himself, that he was God in human flesh, that he was the Messiah. Now, his miracles lent a lot of credibility to his claims, but it was the resurrection that was the, 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 the final definitive stamp on this and should cause us to believe his claims. The resurrection also confirmed Jesus' promise of salvation. Let me go back to a, for a moment to the cross. Jesus willingly died on the cross to be our sin bearer, to be our substitute, to take the punishment from God in our place. You see, we all stand guilty because we all sinned. And since God is perfectly just, he will punish that sin. That is the bad news. But the good news is that God loves us so much. He loves each and every one of us. That Jesus came to be our substitute. And scripture promises that when we place our faith in Jesus, our sins are taken away we are reconciled to God and we're given eternal life. Jesus promised in John 6, 47, whoever believes has eternal life. 
You say, well, how do we know these great promises? How do we know them? How can we bank on them? His resurrection proved that he had conquered sin and death. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. So ultimately, we are left with a choice. We can place our faith in Jesus as our sin bearer, our Savior, and our Lord who makes us right with God and grants us eternal life, or we can reject Jesus and suffer for our sins throughout eternity. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to do so today. Don't let another day pass you by. Let today be the day of salvation. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of this great truth, there is now hope for those who trust in him. David Siemens was a missionary to Africa and also a writer and seminary professor. And he often told a story about a Muslim man who became a Christian. And some of his friends asked the man, why have you become a Christian? And he answered them by saying, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Well put. We can trust Jesus, our resurrected Savior. Let us pray. Lord, it is truly wonderful to discuss your resurrection to herald this good news that you are indeed risen. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Thankful, Lord, for the hope that you give us. Thankful for your victory over death. Thankful, Lord, that you've made the the evidence for the resurrection so compelling. And Lord, we want to live every day in light of its glorious truth. Lord, I pray for everyone who is watching and has heard this message. Lord, I pray that they would believe and experience transforming power of the gospel. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this wonderful resurrection day. And Lord, we look forward to spending the rest of eternity with you, all because of what Jesus did on that glorious morning. And it's his wonderful, in his wonderful name that we pray, all God's people said, amen.